The World on Fire, Chapter 6 The Course is Set After the disappointing service with the young people, the next day's services were held at Pisgah, a small chapel nearby that was a mission of Moriah. This was a Tuesday night, and strangely, the audience had significantly increased. Evans spoke on the importance of being filled with the Spirit. This meeting lasted until 10 p.m. The Four Tenants The next day, on November 2nd, Evan was back at Moriah and he spoke on the Four Great Tenants. This was to become the foundational message of the revival as they later became known as the Four Points. These were the four essential conditions that Evan believed were required before revival would come. They were following. Number one, all sin must be confessed to God and repented of. The church has to be cleansed. The Lord's bride would be without spot, so there would be no room for compromise with sin. If there is anything in our lives about which there is even doubt as to whether it is good or evil, then cast it off. Number two, there must be no cloud between the believer and God. Have you forgiven everybody? If not, don't expect forgiveness for your own sins. The scripture is clear. We cannot be forgiven until we have forgiven. Unforgiveness separates us from God. Number three, we must obey the Holy Spirit. Do what the Spirit prompts you to do. Prompt, implicit, unquestioning, obedience to the Spirit is required if we are going to be used by Him. Number four, there must be public confession of Christ as Savior. This is not just a one-time incident after our salvation experience or baptism. For the Christian, it is a way of life. Evan also believed that there was a difference between confession and profession. It was unknown to Evan when he first preached to them, but these four tenets set the direction for the revival and helped to keep it on course for its duration. They established a foundation of repentance and then built upon a personal, living relationship with the Lord. The driving force behind the revival was not a doctrine or a human personality, but the Holy Spirit who had come to convict the world of sin, and then to lead the world to the forgiver of sin, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit remained and moved powerfully for as long as He was able to do this work in the simplicity required for it. On November 3, Evan met again at Moriah and taught the children to pray. Send the Holy Spirit to Moriah for Jesus' sake. He spoke that evening on Ask, and it shall be given you. These things must be believed if the work is to succeed. We must believe that God is willing and able to answer our prayers. We must believe in a conquering Christ who is able to defeat all opposition. Evan was compelled to press the point with more boldness than he had ever felt before. Now the vision was becoming more real to Evan than anything his natural eyes could yet see. 
He felt the power of the creative Word of God that could say, Let there be light, when there was none. Evan was strangely confident that just by speaking it, it would happen. He did not understand all about prophecy, but that was not necessary. Understanding all about electricity is not a prerequisite for turning on the switch. Evan was going to keep prophesying until the fight came. On the next evening, after speaking for a while, Evan threw the meeting open for prayer and testimony. The presence of the Lord was there, and the meeting lasted until midnight. It was announced that the next meeting would be for young people, but that evening just as many adults crowded into the chapel. A strange expectation that God was going to do something marvelous was in the air, and no one could bear to stay away. When God is not moving, meetings are a burden. But just as in the book of Acts, when God is moving, all the people want to do is meet together. The youth meetings were now attracting just as many fathers and mothers. Many of the children began to have wonderful conversions, astonishing their elders. Evan spoke from Ephesians 5.18 on not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, the meeting lasted past midnight. In less than a week, the meetings had gone from being cold and powerless to a level that neither the young preacher nor the people had witnessed before. Days before, it seemed that Evan's words just fell to the floor. Now his words had the power to penetrate even the hardest heart, and genuine repentance was rolling over the people like waves. Evan's vision was being fulfilled before his eyes. On Sunday, November 6, a visiting clergyman from another town occupied the morning pulpit. Evan sat and listened to the message. The pastor, wanting to give Evan an opportunity to obey God in what he had seen, announced that Evan would preach in the evening. Evan's subject was the importance of obedience. In his message, Evan personalized the Holy Spirit and gave the meeting into his hands. The Holy Spirit came and 60 young people responded for salvation. Evan then exhorted the people to pray, send the Spirit now for Christ's sake. This meeting also lasted well past midnight and news of it spread throughout the whole of Lofor. The spirit of the people had gone from unbelief to hope to expectation to awe. It seemed that each night an unseen hand was turning up a spiritual thermostat a few more degrees. <clears throat> the prophecy was now becoming history. The test. The Monday evening prayer meetings would never be considered one of the highlights of the Moriah Chapel services. Like most congregational prayer meetings, there were a handful of regular attendees and a few who might occasionally drop in. On Monday, November 7, the chapel was packed all the way back to the door. This had never happened before in the history of the chapel. At 8 o'clock, Evan Roberts arrived, opened his Bible, and read from the last chapter of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, 
verse 2 and 3. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be as ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, says the Lord of hosts. Then Evan astonished those in attendance by boldly declaring that this scripture was going to be fulfilled immediately in Wales. When the Lord first read from the prophecy in Isaiah in his own synagogue at Nazareth, those who heard him were likewise astonished at his boldness. The Lord spoke with an authority that required all who heard to either believe him or reject him. They chose to reject him. Those who heard Evan Roberts that night in Moriah were challenged in the same way by his boldness. For a few brief moments, this great move of God hung in the balance. Here was the young man they had known from childhood, had worked with in the mines, and now he was declaring the word of God with a boldness that they had never before witnessed. Evan had spoken in such a way that they were either going to have to believe God for a marvelous and unprecedented revival or reject the messenger. They chose to believe. Another major hurdle was passed. The spiritual atmosphere in Wales had reached its critical mass. Now, revival, to at least some degree, was inevitable. They received his messengers. Could it be possible that this entire revival depended on the reception of this one man? Yes. If we believe both the biblical and historic precedents of revival, it is likely that the great Welsh revival depended on the reception of the messenger the Lord had chosen to strike the match on the prepared fuel. One of the greatest biblical revivals took place in the wicked, heathen city of Nineveh because they chose to believe the most unlikely, wayward Hebrew prophet Jonah. Our reception to the grace of God is often dependent on our ability to let Him use the foolish to confound the wise, the weak to confound the strong. The Lord Jesus Himself, before His departure from this realm, declared that, From now on you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By this he was declaring that from that time on we would not see him unless we blessed those that he sent to us. The Welsh revival is one of the classic examples of how a people heard the Lord when he knocked on their door, how they opened to him, and were able to experience His presence for a period of time. Many revivals have begun only to be quickly short-circuited by ambitious men who tried to use them for their own purposes. Many others never got started because men, overreacting to the selfish ambition, rejected the messengers the Lord sent to them. It is right that we desire to see God receive the glory, but this does not mean that men should not get any attention or recognition. 
One of the great ironies of church history is that those who are the most zealous to see that men do not steal God's glory almost never experience a true move of God because they reject the messengers he sends to them. Paul was bold to defend his recognition as an apostle because he could not rightly minister to the churches unless they recognized the purpose for which he had come to them. We must receive a prophet in the name of a prophet if we are going to receive a prophet's reward. If we receive a prophet as just a teacher or a brother, we will miss what God could have given to us. The same is true of every ministry. We must receive a pastor as a pastor if we are going to receive the reward of his ministry. The same is true of an evangelist, a teacher, or an apostle. We must recognize the gift of God in the messenger to receive the gift that God is sending to us. To receive the gift of God in another is to recognize the work and purpose of God in them. This is a demonstration of the humility required to receive the grace of God because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. It takes humility to receive the message of God from another man, especially one that we have known for a while. It is this humility that God is looking for so that He can trust us with His grace. The greater the humility, the greater the grace. Nineveh showed extraordinary humility and received extraordinary grace. First century Israel showed extraordinary spiritual pride by rejecting the very one who had created them and thereby received the destruction that Nineveh had avoided. Our tendency to police the body of Christ in order to see that others are not exalting themselves is a terrible form of spiritual pride. This often causes us to miss the grace of God by rejecting those that He has sent to us as His provision. The Apostle Paul commended the Galatians for receiving him as an angel from God, even though his flesh was a trial to them. The people of Wales demonstrated what may have been an unprecedented humility by receiving one who had grown up right in their midst as a prophet from God. The result of this humility was a commensurate outpouring of God's grace, a grace so great that it caused the whole world to marvel. There is a delicate balance between wrongly exalting men and receiving them properly. The Lord said that as we do to the least of his little ones, we have done it unto him. When men receive the ambassador of a nation with honor, they are honoring that nation. To not receive him with the proper protocol is to dishonor that nation. How much more should we receive the Lord's ambassadors with honor? There is a difference between properly honoring someone and worshiping them. The Lord honors men and he exalts them. In fact, he promised to exalt them. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. 
James said, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. It is our job to humble ourselves. It is God's job to do the exalting. He is clear that if we try to do His job, He will do our job. However, He did not say that we were supposed to humble others. That is one of the most basic forms of pride. To find the correct balance between properly honoring the messengers that God sends to us without worshiping them is indeed a crucial issue. In Wales, for a short period of time, the church seemed to find this perfect balance. The people not only honored the primary evangelists, they honored even the most humble saints whom the Lord had chosen to use. During the time of this revival, they were quick to recognize and receive the gift of God regardless of the messenger. The primary evangelists were so committed to humbling themselves that both the Lord and the people were able to honor them properly. They used the attention that they were given to direct the people to the Lord. Men who are truly used by the Holy Spirit are not looking for honor or attention, but it will come, and they must have the grace to handle it properly when it does. The presence comes. Almost everyone in attendance at the meeting on Monday night, November 7, were moved to tears, and many cried in agony. By midnight, the presence of the Lord was so intense that it could hardly be contained. The people had never experienced such deep repentance or such deep joy. Those crying in remorse for their sins could not be distinguished from those crying in ecstasy at the nearness of God. It was after 3 a.m. before an attempt to close the meeting was possible. The next evening, the people crowded into the chapel early just to get seats. Everyone was talking about another great awakening, maybe even another Pentecost, but that night the meeting was cold and lifeless. Evan and a few faithful remained until almost 3 a.m. agonizing in prayer. Why had the Lord departed so quickly? About 6 a.m., Evan and Dan finally left to go home and sleep. Upon arriving home, they were jolted by cries of, I'm dying, I'm dying, coming from their mother. Discouraged, she had left the meeting early the night before. Now she was crying out in agony, declaring that she felt the entire weight of Calvary was on her soul. Evan quickly recognized her burden and began to pray with her. Later she explained that after leaving the meeting the night before, she began to feel the agony of the Lord as he had endured the cold hardness of Gethsemane which even his own disciples would not bear with him. She felt that by leaving the chapel at such a crucial, critical time to go home and sleep had been the same rejection of an opportunity to stand with the Lord. She was devastated. Evan was wise. He did not try to comfort her. He tried to help her repent. The Holy Spirit was working on others in the community in the same way. 
The Lord had in fact been at the meeting, but had come in a form that they did not recognize. The Lord does not always come to excite us. At times he comes in silence and demands silence. Sometimes he does not want to speak to us as much as he wants to learn to just wait. The people of Lofor got the message quickly. Now it was time for Evan to be astonished at the people. Just as Evan and his brother were trying to fall asleep, they were awakened by a strange noise in the streets. It was just 6 a.m., but the streets were noisy with crowds on their way to the early morning prayer services. The entire population of the town had responded in repentance just as Evan's mother and were being transformed into a praying multitude that would not fall asleep in the presence of the Lord again for a very long time. Had anything like this ever happened before? <laughs>